Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I was like, uh, I was reaching for my coffee and I didn't realize that the clock was running down there. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll get a cup. I'll get a drink of coffee here in a second. Welcome. Hey, if you're tuned in, you are uh, listening to Taylor Terra Radio Live. Taylor Terra Radio dot com. The phone number is 323-870-3499. The chat room. All right. Well, thank you for that. So, um, okay. Um, The chat room is open. I'm glad you told me that, Tara, because I ran that like, <laughs> Tara is telling we communicate for those of y'all I mean you might sit out of the loop here but me but during the show me and Tara we communicate via Slack. And if you don't know what Slack is, well it's a kind of a workplace chat room um that only is only by invite into your room. So um last week I was using a on my EQ, because I, you know, I've got this, you know, I'm a techie, so I've got this massive setup. And for the last part of the show, I apologize now because I put on a compressor on my EQ and um, on my outboard gear, um, or my inboard gear, I should say, and thinking that it was going to get rid of a roar I was hearing, and apparently it really just screws up the sound. So um, there's that. Um, okay, the chat room is open now. I just opened it. You can jump in there if you would like and chat away. You can sign up for a free Blog Talk Radio account and create your very own podcast. 30 minutes per week, free, no strings attached, Blog Talk Radio. You can come right to com, listen to the show, download your shows. 
check out any of our archive shows and sign up for your own Blog Talk Radio account and try out your own podcast. Maybe you uh, something you like to do as a hobby, but they give you 30 minutes free. You don't have to put a credit card in. You don't have to put any PayPal in. And the people at Block Talk Radio, um, the uh, the men and women there, um, the guys and gals at BTR, I've known a long time. <clears throat> They're good people. Not perfect. They have issues with the site at times, but they are good people. So you can do a 30-minute free live podcast uh, per week and see if you like it. And then you can get one of the packages. Um, you know, you might not want to you know, high-level package, um, but, you know, you can get something smaller and, uh, you know, try it out. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Taylor. You can follow my partner, my friend, um, and co-host, Tara Dublin, on Twitter at Tara Dublin Rocks, and we encourage everyone to follow the show account on Twitter, which is Taylor Tara Radio. And coming up at 1.30 today, we have our very special guest, um, <clears throat> musician and writer, Paul Myers. Um, he has a new book out, um, Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy. And Paul Myers, yes, is the brother of Mike Myers. So 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Paul will be joining us. Tara, how are you today? I'm getting all that you know, beginning stuff out of the way there, and and thank you for letting me know that, because... <laughs> well, I wasn't going to let you it, sound terrible, my friend. That's not why we're here. We're here to sound good, not bad, so if you want people to listen, yeah, you well, can... So, on my end, it sounded like... It sounded like... It, 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 that's what it sounded like, and so... But that was... Be- yeah. But before we went on the air, you sounded perfectly fine, but then as soon as we went on, well, I was see, like, what happened? Right, everything changes. I'm not it technical, goes. so I'm not yeah. tech savvy. So yeah, that's you know, so how, it just is so what how, it is. We, you sound fine now. Great, I should. <laughs> um, any All little, this damn we money didn't really I spent speak on over the weekend. Crap. Yeah, uh, we didn't really talk over the weekend like we usually do because both of us were otherwise occupied. And uh, neither of us really spent a whole lot of time online either. So how you been? Oh, yeah, I had a great. I had a great. Yeah, I had a great weekend. I went to the. We went. uh, Me and my son Gary. uh, We went and saw the uh, Houston Rockets play the uh, Sacramento Kings. Well, Um, see, that's good. How? Remember when going out and doing things felt good, and you didn't have to feel guilty about it? See, that's good for you. Right. I did mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, uh, I got to see my uh, uh, seen Marley, my granddaughter, and um, mm-hmm. took her out to lunch and um, listened to her Christmas list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just skip Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week, but let's just ignore the fact. Uh, and, yeah. you know, Thanksgiving happens to be my favorite holiday because it's the only holiday that hasn't been overly commercialized. And you don't yeah, have to buy anybody anything, right? Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. but the problem with that is that people like it or have gotten to the point where we go from Halloween to Christmas and people forget about Thanksgiving and uh, you can go back to the origins and you can talk about 
you know, the Native Americans being, you know, annihilated by the white man, or you can look at it as yeah, an let's, opportunity let's, to sit let's around the table. The show on a, uh, let's try to keep the show that's, up. That's beat the focus. Today. But let's also remember, as heading into Thanksgiving week, uh, the purpose of Thanksgiving. Uh, just be grateful that you're okay. First of all, any day above ground is a good day. Am I right? Yes. So be thankful for that. Um, and uh, you know, I would. It's hard to find things to be thankful for when the environment we're living in feels so oppressive. But you need to stop and do take yourself out of that and make sure that you do that. Yeah. That's why we have Thanksgiving. I think at this point, because it doesn't feel like we have a lot to be thankful for, but actually we do. We have to be thankful for the blue wave in the house, uh, uh, thankful that uh, the Mueller investigation is closing ranks, thankful that Donald Trump continues to just confess his crimes openly, daily on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, these are all things to be thankful for. Um, <clears throat> I'm thankful for this show and thankful for you. And we'll get mushy on Wednesday. We don't have to get mushy now. But uh, And my mom is coming. That's what I'm thinking yeah. about. My mother is coming. She's arriving Wednesday night, and she's going to be here until next Tuesday, and she's taking the red eye next Tuesday. That's a lot of mom. I love my mother, Jason. You know I love my and, mother. And I know you do. Time. That's a lot yeah, of time. And, That's and, a lot of time for anybody. So, like, I yeah, I asked Tara in in DM. We were chatting, and I said, well, why, why is your mother taking the red eye for? Tara, would you care to explain? Elaborate on that. Because it's the cheapest <laughs> flight. That's why my mother. And this is what every human being finds their cheapest flights possible. It's difficult to do this at Thanksgiving because that's when the airlines like it's Thanksgiving. We can charge you whatever we want. So my mother takes these ridiculous flights where there's a, a, a layover or she has to change planes or she has to take a red eye. And every time she does it, she says she's never going to do it again. And then when it comes down to it, price wise, that's what was cheapest because Thanksgiving. So that's why she's flying out Wednesday and will arrive at 7 p.m. And then and she's coming from New York and I'm in, you know, Portland. And so cross country. And then she's not, her flight doesn't leave until Tuesday night at like 11 o'clock. And I've said, oh my God. I know. No, I, I love my yeah. mother. I love my mother with all my heart. A full week. Now, I'm one of those. I will say this. I'm one of those that I enjoy flying at night. I rather fly at night. I hate but, a red eye. If you're go now, if you're going east to west, a red eye isn't as bad. But when you are going west to east, it will mess you up um, ridiculously. Yeah. I'll never do that to myself again. I did that in June when I went to New York for my uh, nasty book tour. I never really right. got on New York time. Remember, I was I was exhausted. It never got yeah, I never got my sleep. So, before, so yeah, that setting that aside. Yeah, it takes yeah. it took her it'll take her like a day and a half to get on Portland time and then it'll be Thanksgiving. Plus my older son is coming home from college. Plus we're in a new apartment that has less sleeping areas than my old house did. So she's worrying about where people are going to sleep. I'm worrying about how to fill the hours. That's what I think about when my mother comes as much as I adore my mother, two teenage boys and me and my mom with many hours to fill, that's a recipe for fighting. That's what that is. It's too much. It's too much togetherness. It's too much closeness. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what the hell to do with all of that time. Because if it was just a normal weekend, you know, I, my kid would be at his dad's and my mom wouldn't be here. And I'd figure out my own stuff like I did this past weekend. But um, 
<laughs> so <laughs> it's a challenge. It is a challenge. Yeah. And you know that that saying yeah. about you know fish and relatives, fish and visitors stink after three days. She knows this. And what's really interesting is we were discussing her trip while she was in, and she was hosting a visitor in her apartment. And this particular visitor is rich enough to afford a hotel yet always stays at my mom's apartment, this woman. And she was staying for like five days. I was like, mom, that's a lot. I don't stay for five days. She's like, I know. But yet it's okay for her to come here. The other thing, and I, I'm sure everybody out there can relate to this. If you have relatives, your mother, your parents, whoever, who don't live in your town. And so you don't, you talk often or whatever, but you don't see each other as often as, you know, other people. It's so much easier to report on my life to my mother over the phone and for me to go to New York and report on my life than for her to come here and see it. You know, you can't hide stuff when your mom is poking around your house. So I have to make sure like my house is mom clean because there's clean and then there's mom is coming clean. So that's like the rest of today and all of tomorrow is going to be about, I mean, I keep a tidy house. But it's got to yeah. be, she's always like, you don't have to clean for me. You don't have to do anything special for me. And then the second she gets you, she's like, Tara, this clutter, this doesn't bother you. Tara, you know, I noticed that this, this vent had some dust in it. Tara, I don't know if you noticed this, but under the sink, there's a, this is a wet <laughs> thing under the sink I found. That's what happens. Tara, She'll find it. Tara. She'll find Tara, it. This, this, your, your apartment, it's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've really tried to make the most of it. I can tell. That's what she'll say. Something like that. Um, uh, if you it, 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 you know it, it's always one step beyond. Like I I I've done what uh, I can. I listen. And I yet. get you. I get yeah. you. That's Meanwhile, why. I so that's, tell them what fam- that's me that's setting the I attention li- for the for, for the week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I live alone with 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 my dog uh, Brady, <clears throat> and um, and my cat. So right. Uh, I, so yeah. I mean, and, and most and, of the and time. And, and why I probably will never get married again because I enjoy it a lot. I so. yeah, absolutely. I mean, my solitude is something I've go- I've grown very accustomed to, and I'm very um, uh, I I what's the word? I I treasure it now, and you know, and I cultivate it, and you know, I I don't mind sharing my space, but well, I need my alone time me, now, and if I don't get it, I'll be unpleasant. For me, I'm a creature anyway, of habit. I'm a creature yeah. of habit. <clears throat> so, and I'm very, and I'm OCD to a point, and I know everybody says that, but I really, truly am. And Tara would tell you I'm very meticulous. <laughs> and everybody's and, got their uh, So, right. So, anytime you might come over my house and shit's out of place and they just throw their shit <laughs> over on my furniture. And, you know, they go in the kitchen and, you know, leave, like, you know, dishes overnight in the sink. Oh, no, you, no, you I, really... I don't do that. I'm not yeah, super OCD, don't want to see something that. happened to that... me when I moved in here. I'm, I'm way tidier now than I was in my old house. But um, still, she'll come, you know, and, and then there's the whole cat issue. Like, she's convinced that the cat is going to, like, attack her constantly, which is not, not true. Um, I've gotten those fell-away diffusers. Um, that kicks out the hormones into the into the atmosphere, and it seems to have chilled out Crosby pretty seriously. So I'm enjoying that. But what will happen is at some point during her stay, I'm going to hear Tara, and then something about the cat, like she stepped on cat food, or the cat did this, or the cat did that, or she can smell cat poop the second he poops, and I better get rid of it. She doesn't like cats, 
So it's just going to be this, and it's all of that on your head. At least we're not cooking Thanksgiving dinner because that is an effort that, first of all, my, I'm, I'm in an apartment with a really small electric oven, and that's never the ideal. But think about the amount of effort that you put out cooking at Thanksgiving dinner, like you spend a day cooking, and then people devour it in 10 minutes, and then they're done. And you're like, what did I just do this for? So we're going out to dinner and we're going to a buffet. It's like every man for himself, sit down, eat, and let's go. And I know that's not sentimental, but it is literally the best way to do it. As long as you are around other people, if that's what you want to do. There are people who spend Thanksgiving alone. Last year, I didn't do anything for Thanksgiving. Uh, I was still working in a restaurant last year on Thanksgiving. We served brunch and I worked the brunch shift. And then on my way home, I picked up some McDonald's and I came home and I watched television by myself. And I was perfectly satisfied. I'd be satisfied, well, satisfied to I, do that again this year, but no. Um, so I, you know, I, as long as you are doing yeah. something that feels authentic to you on Thanksgiving, just make sure that at some point you acknowledge uh, whatever good grace you have received. I think that's incredibly important to do on the daily if you don't, but that's the day that you do. Uh, okay, so we got Paul Myers coming up at 1030, uh, 10, uh, 1.30 Eastern, 10.30 Pacific here. So with the uh, remain, we should probably talk about the news a little bit because one of the things that we want to do, incidentally, before we hit uh, politics, you know, we want to obviously always cover politics, but something that I suggested to Jason uh, once we finished the midterms was going into the end of the year, we have to find some joy. To find some joy wherever we can. Right. And we can't constantly, you know, giving, giving everybody, right? giving everybody a little bit of a break from the garbage fire. And so you're going to hear in the next few weeks until the end of the year, you'll hear some best of shows. We're going to do a best of on Friday uh, to give us Black Friday off. But also we're going to be inviting guests on to kind of bring the room back up a little bit, you know, make you smile, make you laugh, give you some insight, yeah. make you feel better yeah. about the world, better about yourself. We're, we're still going to touch on politics. Absolutely. Um, but going into the holidays, everyone needs a little lift, I think. And Donald Trump is doing his best to keep us down, and I think we need I to stop wanna, letting him yeah. do that. Oh. Right? Yeah. See, I want to. No Tara, one second. Tara, one second. What? I want to listen. I want to apologize to the listeners. There's this roar that you're probably hearing when I when I initially come in and Tara's talking, and then I come in. I only hear it then. You're hearing it too because I've heard it on the playbacks. I want to apologize I for that. I don't hear anything. I'm, I'm, it's so weird. I know you don't. I, everything I, sounds normal to me. Well, I've got so, like these ginormous JBLs. I've, you know me. I've got this huge studio thing set up, so I hear everything. So I hear it when I go to the playback. I hear it. So it's. I'm gonna figure out exactly what it is. I've like tried to like figure out everything, but I will figure it out. And um, but it's only only when you're talking and then I come in, try to come in over the top of you or or try to interject. And you're, I don't know if you're not. I don't know. But it, there is. A, it's not you. It's not Tara. OK. And it's not anything. that it, It's something technical. Um, and I, I need to figure out exactly what it is. But um, now your segue uh, you're you're talking about you know really you know going and bringing some you know more uplifting guests having some fun kind of goes to a poll that I did last night on Twitter and I was curious you know especially here at the holidays I sound choppy again for a second you did well okay well um, 
it, now, now I, had, I don't know. What I the had hell. a bunch of. I mean, everything was crazy here. Okay, first of all, the weather's horrible. Well, I mean, it's horrible. It's like for you know, it's like cold out. It's been extremely cold here in South Texas. Unusually cold for this time of the year, and it's been raining every day. I feel like I'm in Seattle, and um. But yeah, no, I was having all kinds of Wi-Fi problems last night. So yeah, Kara, just keep me abreast if if it's cutting in and out, I'll sign out and sign back in. But um, so I did a poll last night. I wanted to see here at the holidays, and I was just curious. And and I was curious, and I got 136 votes, a decent sample size, I suppose. Um. <clears throat> But um, my question was, how many folks find social media incredibly depressing but continue to use it? Uh, I voted me. I definitely voted me. It is depressing. You voted me? Okay. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm totally. It's 80, totally depressing. Nearly 80%. Nearly 80%. Of the of it was eighty percent people use it me they voted me twenty three percent not me nearly eighty percent voted yes it's incredibly depressing but I continue to use it I I I don't know exactly what that means I'm not a psychiatrist but damn it I'm gonna have Doctor David on one what does it mean yeah but um I would what does it mean that I'll well I'll tell you. Um, and this is actually a discussion that I had on Facebook over the weekend. My friend Karen Carbo, who's a, a very well-known writer, um, put on her Facebook that it's time to talk about Facebook because we are learning so much more about how Facebook was complicit in the 2016 election and what they allowed to happen on Facebook Number and that they were aware of campaign. it. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I wanted to get that in there. Facebook uh, was uh, the uh, top contributor, uh, individual contributor to uh, Nancy Pelosi's campaign. But go ahead. <sighs> um, well, but okay. So now I'm going back. All right. Karen Carbo was talking about the Russian bullshitty stuff that Facebook was allowing and complicit in and allowing. And so her her dilemma is – we need Facebook to stay in touch with people, to promote our work, to do this, to do that. And I responded with, I don't know that we need it because um, as an example, uh, you know, there's just too many people. You can't see everything. How many times have you gotten a birthday reminder on Facebook for someone that you've completely forgotten even existed? I said, if you stopped posting, how long would it take people to catch on that you've stopped? If you didn't make some grand Facebook exit announcement, which I find so annoying, um, if you just stopped posting, who would notice? Because there's so much. How long would it take people to notice that you had stopped posting? And then I said, you know, here's an example of what, what does Facebook actually do as far as promoting ourselves? So back in April, I did a reading for Nasty, the book that I'm published in the anthology. We had a reading at Powell's, which is the biggest bookstore uh, in Portland and one of the most famous bookstores on the planet. And getting to do a reading at Powell's is a giant deal for any writer. But the fact that it was my publishing debut, I had struggled a very long time. And it was that it was a huge night for me, personally. And I wanted people who said that they were my friends to be there for me and with me and to celebrate that moment. 
And I promoted the shit out of that reading. And I created a Facebook invite and I invited all of the people that I would have loved to have seen there. And everybody who, the people who bothered to respond to the invite all responded maybe or interested or whatever. And anytime I posted on my page, I got likes and hearts and whatever and congrats. And when the night of my reading came, not a single person from my friends list showed up for me. Not one, not one person who claimed to be my real friend showed up for me. And I was very hurt. I was very hurt by that. I mean, we had a packed room, Jason. It was not, well, not like nobody showed up. But nobody showed up for me specifically, and that hurt my feelings deeply because I can't count how many readings I've gone for friends of mine, concerts for bands that I'm friends with or book readings or performances or whatever in the entire time I've lived in Portland, how supportive I have been of other people, and they didn't show up for me. So in my <clears throat> citing this example, I said, number one, it made me re try to you know, look at myself and how I, how I foster friendships and maybe the onus is on me for not being a better friend. But then I thought, what does Facebook actually do for us? What does it do, Jason? What does it do? It satisfies your I, narcissistic I don't know. I never go over there. Right. So it, you put up a yeah. picture and you get some likes and you're like, ooh. It you know, satisfies some sort of narcissistic need that people noticed you and liked what you did. And uh, for me, my mother's not on Facebook anymore and she says she doesn't miss it. She doesn't have a podcast to promote like I do. But I would also ask, does anybody on my Facebook listen to my podcast? If I, it doesn't matter how many times I post about this podcast. Not one person on my friends list has ever here, messaged me saying, man, I love your podcast. What's the point? Right. What's the point of keeping here, Facebook? Here, I, I don't know, the, but we would all disappear Tara, from me, each other's lives. So yeah, let me throw this in there. Look, look, people ask me all the time. People ask me all the time that, and if you've read, I, I'm trying to, oh God, I'm trying to remember the name of his book. Um, I tweeted out a quote from his book. I, I've read his book. Uh, God, I can't find it right now. Anyways, not going to take the time. But um, uh, oh, it, well, the name of his book is "Why You Should Delete Your Social Media Account Right Now." And um, he—he's a former techie guy, and he—he he helped develop. He comes from a world of—of—he knows what he's talking about. But anyways, um, no people ask me all the time. They say, "Well, you know, people that have like." websites and podcasts and things all the time and they say well do do I have to um like we have a producer coming to work for our show uh Kevin and like he doesn't really want a Twitter account and I'm like well you don't have to have a Twitter account and I tell people that all the time look you don't need if you have a podcast first of all your podcast <clears throat> the best way to find our podcast is to go to Google. That's the that's the that's the best way. If you want to find every if you want to if you want to find your favorite listening platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts or some sort of app in the Google Play Store or <clears throat> Spotify or Spreaker, the best ultimate way to find if whatever podcast, but let's just take ours in particular. Is to go to Google or go to your go to your search engine, and um and just type in Taylor Terror Radio, and that's gonna pull yeah, up two pages. Yeah, but that's, that's not the point that I'm making. The the point no, no, that I'm I, making I, is I I know what point you're making. The point that I'm making yeah, is if you, I stop posting on Facebook, who would miss me? Who would miss me? Who nobody. would notice? Who nobody. would care? Same on Twitter. Nobody. Same on Twitter. Nobody. Right. And Same so on I would keep 
I would keep Twitter. Um, the reason to keep Facebook, honestly, for me at this point, is so I can keep playing words with friends and put pictures of Crosby on Instagram. I mean, eh, I, I and find out when the next OK Corral is so I can go and sing with my friends. Really, that's what I'm using Facebook for at this moment because I've stopped trying to get people to come out and show up for me, and I've stopped promoting our podcast on Facebook. It feels like a waste of my energy. I check Facebook maybe once a day now. Sometimes I forget to check Facebook at all because I don't get notifications from it. To me, it's, it's become a complete, you know, just, I don't, I don't know why. But yet, if you cut that off, then you lose the connection with all of these people that if you wanted to reach out to them, now you're able to. We'd have to go back to the old times of when you had a, a real address book with everybody's names and addresses written down in pen, and you had to call them on the phone to tell them news. So, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. If you, if you feel like you want to hold on to it for minor reasons, that's great. But to me, it's, you know, less and less appealing as, as the days go by. Um, we haven't even yeah. touched on actual real news, and we've got Paul Myers coming up in a moment here. Um, but uh, Donald Trump sucks for suggesting that Osama bin Laden should have been caught sooner. Don't you think if we could have caught him sooner, we would, you bitch? That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, He's a Gideon, yeah, look, <laughs> look, we had a pretty good idea. Clinton, you know, uh, during the Clinton administration, Clinton had a pretty good, pretty damn good idea where where he was, and he was. Look, if you go back and read all the books and, and you read everything, look, everybody was advising Clinton. Look, we've got him here. He's in this mountainous area. We know exactly where he is, and if you read, he left. He escaped there about. 15 minutes before, you know, our, our uh, the rockets came like blasting in there to, you know, to blow him to spin the ring. He he got tipped off like 15 I mean the rockets were probably already flying and he got tipped off and got the hell out of there. Clinton was Clinton should have gotten him. I mean, it it, it wasn't it, he had him and you know, so Trump saying that all Bill Clinton yeah. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Just, I can't stand him. He's such, such a what he's you know what? He's such a coward. And the fact that he does nothing for our mili- our military except tweet bullshit about them. He's never visited them. He's done zero for our military. He's actually said publicly that they shouldn't get to send in their absentee ballots from overseas. He is a coward of the highest order. And anybody showing bravery, like the like the admiral who led the raid against bin Laden, they give him bad self-feels and remind him of what a coward he is. So he lashes out in the way that he does. It is textbook narcissistic personality disorder. Nobody has to page Dr. Freud about that one. Um, speaking of which, before we go to break, I just the, the, the whole weekend, I did not look at social media, really. I did not pay attention to the news. And yet yesterday morning, uh, I woke up from a the, the dream that I had when I woke up in the morning. I was in my the house that I grew up in, in my old living room, having a screaming fight with Donald Trump. And he was wearing the blue suit with the long red tie. And I was yelling and yelling. And he was yelling. And my mother is in the room trying to defuse. I was like, no need to page Dr. Freud. Tara's got some daddy issues. But um, the only thing that I remember from that dream is him yelling, and you say terrible things about my sons. I was like, everybody says terrible things about your sons. My poor brain, Jason. My poor brain. You got to get rid of this guy. So this is why we need to inject levity into our daily lives as much as possible. We're going to take a break here. And then after the break, my one of my oldest Twitter friends, 
Paul Myers will be joining us. He has a great book that I stayed up until after midnight last night to finish about the kids in the hall. It's called One Dumb Guy. We're going to talk about the one dumb guy and then the other dumb guy in the Oval Office as well with our good friend Paul Myers coming up after the break here on Taylor Tower Radio. Marker. You learn. Take one. TaylorTerrorRadio.com. We are live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, we will have a show on Wednesday, and then on Friday, uh, this is going to be mine and Tara's first day off um, from the show, anyways, and we'll be doing a best of on Friday, so we're, we're taking a... Uh, we're taking a day off for Thanksgiving, um, family and friends and all that good stuff, Black Friday shopping, um, which I do mine online, and if you have any, if you have half a brain, you'll do yours online as well. But um, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Jay Wade Taylor. You can follow Tara on Twitter at Tara Dublin Rocks. 
And the show account is Taylor Terra Radio on Twitter. You can direct your questions and your comments there. The chat room is also open here on the show page. And if you missed any of the show today, uh, you can go back once the show is done and give it about 15 minutes, and it will be available on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, which is the same thing, of course, but some people will get it mixed up, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play Music, and as me and Tara were talking about before the break, really uh, the easiest way uh, to find your favorite listening platform, because I have my favorite podcast apps, um, TuneIn is one of them, I love that app, and Podcast Addict is another good one, but you can just go to Google and type in Taylor Terra Radio. And that will pull up two pages full of places to listen to the show at. So, Tara, uh, we have a, a very special guest with us today here on uh, TaylorTaraRadio.com. We certainly do. I'm very excited because sometimes we actually get to talk to our friends who are uh, also wonderfully accomplished people. Uh, Paul Myers is a jack-of-all-trades, a Paul-of-all-trades, uh, a writer, a musician, <laughs> a TV radio personality from Canada, Canada. Uh, he uh, is a wonderful writer. Written, he's written biographies about the Bare Naked Ladies, Long John Baldry, Paul, uh, Todd Rundgren. His brand new book is about the legendary comedy troupe, The Kids in the Hall. It's called Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy. And he is also one of my oldest friends from the Twitters. Please welcome to Taylor Tower Radio, Paul Myers. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Tara. Hey, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Hello, I'm Paul. good. How, uh, Taylor, I just want to ask Tara quickly, how long have we actually known each other on Twitter? Do you remember? Because it feels like, yeah. It's like nine years. I, yeah, because I joined like Twitter I, in 2009, and you were already yeah. an established presence on Twitter. And if you're not following Paul, what is wrong with you? He is at Pull My Ears, <laughs> which is one of my favorite Twitter names. Pull my ears. It's so clever. Um, well, it's, an and, anagram, it's an anagram of Paul Myers, which is why there's only one L in P-U-L-M-Y-E-A-R-S, because it's Paul Myers rearranged to pull my ears. You, so just so I, I like to lad. He's, I like to play with words, too. Very, very clever. And just to let you know what a, a moron I was in the early, early days of Twitter, I had no idea that Paul was related to a famous person. He, I just thought he, he was this cool yeah. guy. And I think I made That's a right. flip. Right, and I made some sort of flip Austin Powers joke, and then you DM'd me. You're like, you know that's my brother, right? I was like, who's your brother? And you're like, Mike Myers is my brother. I was like, oh, my God. I literally well, did a face palm because your avatar, your face picture, I was like, well, yeah, there's a nice-looking gentleman. Never once realized, oh, my God, you're a dead ringer for Mike Myers. And then well, you went on to explain. Tell the kids yeah. how I'm you're, better um, you I'm told me looking. about – what? You're better yeah. looking? Well, that's I'm better looking than I Mike. Add. I mean, come on. Well, that's, that's you got the that's Silver saying, Fox right? thing going on. But you exactly. also were his stand-in uh, on Austin Powers, well, the first Austin Powers. Yeah, Am I right about that? I mean, yeah. So on the third, uh, I think it was the third one, the one with Beyonce. No, the one with Heather Graham. Uh, I, was uh-huh. the frozen, I was the frozen naked Austin Powers in the tank. Uh, so when Austin, <laughs> time travels, Austin time travels to go back and look at himself, it's cheaper 
to have a stand-in rather than do like they could save a couple of days of CGI by just having a human in the tank. And Mike right. said, "Well, my brother sort of looks like me, and we could make him look 100% like me with makeup." So they they gave me uh, I wore a merkin. You know what a merkin is? I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had like a little a little hair bikini that covered my junk, and then uh, <laughs> but I I was but I was bare ass naked walking out on set with a robe on and. Of course, Mike takes me, takes Heather Graham back behind me and goes, let's look at my brother's bum. And, 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 you know, and and I want to point out that if Heather had not wanted, like, if Heather had refused in any way, Mike would never have forced her, like, it was never, like, now we know, like, that, you know, like, she was clearly having a good time, too, with it, like, she was, like, joking around with him. But It was not a Heather Graham Me Too moment. in light, in light of Louis C.K., yes, it wasn't like, let's go watch Paul, and uh, yeah, it wasn't like that. But it was completely innocuous and cl- completely fun, and I was the only one who was really tormented by it because it was like, hey, it's bad enough that I have to walk out in the whole set here with a, just a little uh, bikini on. But anyway, it was fun, and it was kind of exciting to be immortalized. I have a framed photograph of myself dressed as Austin Powers, and, uh, you know, that's like, it's a weird thing. Like, as you know me, Kara, like I am really defiantly me. So to, yes. to allow myself to be him uh, at such a large, you know, obviously it was just like, it was to help him out. But it was also like fun to be part of the film, you know, just to be right. on the set, to have an excuse to be there. But that's not why we're here, is it? No, no. It's just a wonderful <laughs> example of brotherly love though. I mean, that is some love Absolutely. to show up naked. Absolutely. That's love. That's some brotherly love. We are here to talk about, uh, other talented Canadian gentlemen, uh, specifically the kids in the hall. Uh, if you were growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you were aware of them. But uh, in America, they were not the looming presence uh, similar to Monty Python. What I always loved about the kids in the hall was sort of that outsider element to them, mm-hmm. uh, the way that mm-hmm. they could comment on what was happening in America because they had that outsider view. Um, I appreciate yeah. that. Let's... Um, for those who are not as familiar with the trajectory of the kids in the hall, if you want to just give us like that quick little, quick little bio to just make people aware of yeah. who they are, and then we'll get in a little bit deeper. Well, yeah, and then before I even go into that, I just want to say that they probably got more widely known in America when they went to syndication on Comedy Central in the yes. late '90s, and and then and a lot of people they were on like four times a day on Comedy Central because Comedy Central pre Daily Show. Comedy Central had very little programming, so they would use, they would run reruns of Saturday Night Live and reruns of The Kids of the Hall, which were both Lord Michael's presentations, by the way. Uh, so here's right. the Kids of the Hall story. Kids of the Hall, I go back with them, and this does relate to Mike Myers in the sense that Mike had taken Second City workshops. I was, I was also interested in comedy. I learned the hard way that I'm not very good at sketch comedy, but I took Second City workshops to find out. And while I was there a young Dave Foley and a young Kevin McDonald were there taking classes and they had taken the same classes as Mike and Mike had just gone on to the second city touring company. And Dave Foley says, you look like Mike Myers. They say, I'm a young Mike Myers. And he, he was, and he was laughing. And then Kevin McDonald said, we think your brother's great. And it was like, it was like a, a nice way to meet somebody. Like basically you're saying, I don't know if you know this, but we think your brother's going to go somewhere, which they turned out to be right. And then, and then they said they had a troop. They said they had a troupe, so I went to see their troupe. So I got to see their early cabaret performances in Toronto, where I grew up. I say Toronto like an American now. Toronto. 
And uh, and then I was in bands the whole time, you know, playing the same clubs as them because they used to play in clubs, rock clubs, and they played rock and roll music on tape between their sketches. So they were a rock and roll comedy troupe, and I was in bands. And so all music loves comedy, comedy loves music. Cut to a lot of details out of there. They get discovered by Lorne Michaels. Actually, before Mike is on SNL, they're signed to Lorne Michaels. Their TV show goes into production. It's on HBO. Not many people see it in America, except on VHS. A lot of the people who see it in America are people like Judd Apatow, Paul Feig, uh, the guy who created MST3K and uh, mm. Steve Higgins, who's now on The Tonight Show, and uh, people like that. They were all huge fans of The Kids in the Hall. Fred Armisen was a big fan of The Kids in the Hall, but he, I think he got to it later on Comedy Central. Uh, and it's like all these people were like digging it, so it became kind of groundbreaking in that way that it was a secret that they knew about. Uh, the Kids in the Hall did one major feature film that kind of tanked. It was kind of a, a hard thing to sell. It was about depression and... and uh, and sort of based on uh, the story of, you know, uh, uh, Prozac. It was, like, called uh, Brain Candy. And Brain Candy tanked at the box office, got panned by Roger Ebert, although uh, Cisco loved it. Uh, and then their film career stalled. They got into some bitter fighting about various other things, didn't talk to each other until about 2000, after Comedy Central. But Comedy Central made them have a fan base that they could go, suddenly realize they could play soft theater halls around America and Canada. They were always fairly big in Canada. Anyway, so I'm cutting out a lot of details just to get you through. So since then, they've been kind of a recurring troupe who've done the odd miniseries, and they tour like every two or three years, and they do original material. Whenever they go out, they write new stuff as well as old stuff, and they created characters like the Chicken Lady and uh, Mr. Tizik, the head crusher, who says, I'm crushing our head between his fingers. And it, I love that don't one. know what it is, look it up. Look it up. It's hard to find sometimes because I think you have to buy it to get it now because it's not on any streaming service. But YouTube has. Yeah, a lot I was going to ask you about that. Like, why? Why is that? Why can't you stream them anywhere? Well, part of it is that they had a deal with. Uh, do you remember a, 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 a platform called CISO? Yes. CISO to go. It was NBC Universal, and they had Python. They had a bunch of things, and I subscribed to it because they had all the kids in the hall. And it was sort of like guess Lauren Michaels who produces it gets a cut of it or whatever. And they ended up going bankrupt, CISO. And then I guess they're still in limbo as to where that series goes next. So, so I feel like they're sort of in between distributors. I think you can get it off. I think you can get it streaming on, in Canada. If you're listening in Canada, you can get it off the CBC website. But I think it's geo-blocked in the States. So uh, we talk about this all the time, by the way. I keep saying, like, oh, man, it would be so great with my book out if you could stream the Kids in the Hall. And I think, I think there's going to be a move. In the new year, I think there's going to be a lot more Kids in the Hall activity, uh, maybe because of my book, but maybe just because it's the time. They've, they have 30 years since they started, you know. So it's the ah. 30th anniversary of the Kids in the Hall. And they're all still talking to each other. I was just with two of them on Friday in Los Angeles, sold out. We did a sold-out thing for my book, and all these all these comedy writers were in the audience. It was actually kind of gratifying to see like a room full of smart, funny people, you know, and, you know, a lot of people you'd know from Twitter, maybe like Casey Fenelange and Matt Debenham, Debenham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just a lot of really funny people were in the audience. And, you know, the creator Fraser was there, Jay Kogan, one of the guys. And, like, it's just really neat. The, the, uh, the audience was filled with young comedy students and established comedy writers. So it was, it was really cool. What's anyway, also really great is that, <laughs> yeah, all five of the kids have also enjoyed uh, solo acting careers. Um, 
and I think people may recognize them from their individual things, not realizing that they were part of Kids in the Hall. Like if you ever watch news radio, Dave Foley was on news radio and Scott Thompson was on uh, the Larry Sanders show and uh, Mark McKinney, very successful uh, doing episodic television in Canada. Um, Kevin McDonald, you know, they, they all show well, up also, variously. Mark, Mark, is, Mark is on Superstore right now, which is one of NBC's flagship comedy shows about yes. a, kind of a, a, so, a Walmart kind of thing. Yeah. What I found so, interesting yeah. um, reading the book was how um, Lauren Michaels has really had such an impact on them uh, as a group, but also individually. Um, the way he sort of he didn't want all five of them to join him at Saturday Night Live. He only wanted two of them for Saturday Night yeah. Live as writers. And then Mark McKinney became a performer in the year that was kind of really off. Because that year, yeah. it was like him and Janine Garofalo and uh, um, David, David Kepner, Kepner. And they had all of these great yeah. talents, but they didn't gel. That year did not no. gel, which I thought was no. really strange because you had so much hard, talent. It was a hard is, year. Uh, well, what was that like? I mean, what, what is Mark, when Mark talks about that year, because I mean, you didn't, you don't delve too deeply into what that did for hit for, you know, collectively for Saturday Night Live and why it was an off year, but to know that the chemistry wasn't right with so much talent yeah. that also plays into times that the kids would get back together, but they didn't really want to. And when the chemistry, like when they were making brain, yeah. candy, they were all, they all hated yeah. each other. Um, yeah, there's when, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely a lot of bad, especially with Dave Foley. Like Dave, Dave was basically kicked out of the troupe or quit uh, around the time of the making of the movie Brain Candy, but did it under contractual obligation, which is always the worst way you could do anything, right? Right, you're not <laughs> like, motivating. And, and, no, it's, and it's not. But I will say this: um, the Dave in the scenes that Dave does in the movie with the others, there's absolutely no hint on the screen that they didn't. They they they, they are still professionals and they're still funny. And I just watched it the other day with Dave because we were at some event where they were screening the film, and I thought mm -hmm. Dave was going to hate it because I thought Dave was going to be like watching a home movie from a bad time, you know, like the worst right. Thanksgiving ever. But but in fact, <laughs> he he was kind of smiling because he was saying it's amazing that we managed to still play well together on screen. Like the comedy was more important than their relationship. You know what I mean? Like they they were professional. So I thought that was really great. It, the way that they were able to set aside, I mean, Scott Thompson being so, so ill and still being able to work because for the greater good of the troupe, um, things things like that, the, the things that they were able to do and set aside, they also, all of them, uh, well, with one exception, had horrifically unhappy childhoods with alcoholic yeah. and abusive fathers. And that's something that comes out again and again that they use in the comedy. And I think that's something that is, what comedy does uh, the best is take these, you know, it's comedy is just tragedy plus time. Um, their tragic mm -hmm. alcoholic fathers turn into some of the funniest moments for them. But yeah. There's like, and there's certainly sketches like girl drink drunk uh, where, you know, it's sort of making fun of someone for not knowing how to drink and, and like, cause the dad was such a drinker and, and just, uh, just, yeah, definitely. And the salty ham sketch with the father complaining that the mother cooked a, a ham with too much salt in it. And, and like, just a like, goddamn salty ham, you know, like that, <laughs> the, ang the anger, there's so much anger in their characters, uh, of their family characters. And just, 
uh, and so much potential violence, actually, even in the friendship scenes, like there's a scene where they're gathering around a campfire talking about their dead friend, Reg. Reg I Reg, love Reg. that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, like, spoiler alert, but I'm going to tell you, so it transpires, like they're saying, what a great guy he was, and then they're talking about how hard it was to kill him. And how right. he put up such a good fight. He fight her. Like, that was so good about Reg. He was so easy to love and hard to kill. You know, and struggling and against that piano that, wire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, and that, you know, the, the book's called One Dumb Guy because, um, like, and Kevin says this in the book that, you know, the Reg sketch is also a symbol of their, their, their bad business decisions. They killed their career so many times. They tried so hard to kill their career, but they all love each other. And, and and the one dumb guy is them. Like he, they, right. he says, you know, we're we're five fairly intelligent guys. Like in all humility, he can say that they are very smart guys. If you've been around them, they're smart. But together, they make the worst business decisions, which is probably why it's not available on streaming this year. It, it'll probably be available next year. But you know, like they're just not in sync with uh, what you would call smart business decisions. So they so really aren't, and they yeah. they continue. To make all of these dumb decisions, there's one that they describe in the book where they could have made a ton of money. And, oh, they could have been uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records. And nobody thought to contact Guinness, so they didn't get to be in the Guinness yeah. Book of World Records. Yeah, that's, yeah. Early on, they, dumb they did stuff the like that longest, that they do. Yeah. They did the world's longest. For the, the, the improvisation-a-thon yeah. that they did. Yeah, um, one thing that, that's right. Ray improvisation. The, um, the one thing that you touch on a lot in the book that um, reading as a modern reader going back to the 80s and 90s, the way that they, when they would perform in drag, um, yeah. a lot of performers, men, when they put on drag, they really go to the extreme, but instead they played women very respectfully. Um, yeah. And that was what they wanted. And so, and especially, you know, at the time when they went, when they were starting to do that, Scott Thompson hadn't even joined them yet and they were already doing drag scenes, but they were playing women very straight. Um, talk a little bit about that because, uh, it was very, you know, uh, f a very forward thinking way to present men in drag at yeah. that time, rather than go to the extremes that like even, they even held back, you know, like Monty Python often maybe played it for, for the laughs and went to the extremes, but the kids in the hall never did that. Like the Kathy no. and Kathy sketches and, um, well, what, yeah, what they were doing, very humanity they, driven. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually it's very humanity driven. And I think that well, one of the things that uh, people forget is that they weren't cast in the kids in the hall by a, by someone else. They were so they were just five guys who found each other. They didn't go out of their way to find five white guys, and they didn't go out of their right. way to not to not cast women. But that's important to know because they're sort of like you know like the way the Beatles or U two, the, the way a band like you, you couldn't you you wouldn't say how come U two doesn't have an African American bass player like that's just horrible mm -hmm. that they're all white guys. So. You know, sure, if you were making a, a TV show today, you would try to have more of a diverse, uh, racially diverse and maybe uh, sexually diverse cast. But they weren't trying to do anything other than just be play with their friends, right? So mm -hmm. what they wanted to do, because they didn't have a female member of the cast, and they wanted a scene where there would be a girlfriend character based probably on one of their girlfriends. They, and that's another thing, because if you know that their girlfriend's going to recognize themselves, you're not going to make them grotesque, right? Because then you can't go right. home. So, or their so moms. they would just say they actually literally had actually uh, one of their girlfriends had a large oversized red sweater that that became the dress. So whenever there was a woman in the scene, she was the one with he was the one wearing the long red dress, which was a skirt. Uh, and uh, that's how you knew it was a girl. And it was only when Scott Thompson joined and he brought a bag of literal wigs and dresses. 
And, like, you know, I mean, metaphorically, he brought a bag of wigs and dresses, but he literally brought a bag of wigs and dresses. And, but they, they would really just say, I'm going to play like the way Shakespeare did, I, I, I'm I told. In the old days, they had, like, a lot of men actors. They didn't have a lot of female actors, I, I guess because of sexism. But in the old days, Shakespeare, there would be women's parts that were played by men. And, you know, and, and I, I, I'm told. I, I'm not a Shakespeare yeah. scholar. But, it uh, is true. But, women were not allowed yeah. to perform, only men. So men performed the women's roles back then. It's true. And that's the way we liked it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> women. Um, the women ain't talented. Yeah. They ain't well, funny. You can barely trust them driving, if you know what I mean. I, I am oh, so hey, kidding. Hey, I, hey. Am so, I am so you're kidding. You're so kidding. I never, we I'm know that even, you're kidding. I've never been to Saudi Arabia. I have no idea. Uh, but, anyway. uh, but, uh, but 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 to get back to the kids, they did play women respectfully, and they they they. Um, I mean, uh, Kathy and Kathy, Bruce's Kathy was uh, based on his sister, and you know, and and uh, when when uh, Scott played Fran, the uh, the mother character, that's his own mother. Like right. he he loves, and he plays the queen. Actually, Queen Elizabeth. He plays Queen Elizabeth. He grew up in a household where everyone, like Canadians, have a certain reverence for the Queen of a certain generation, anyway, because uh, we have the we have the Queen on our some of our money, maybe still. And um, I haven't lived there in a while, but um, but but like, so in Canada, you will have like people who grow up believing the Queen is like we. No one knows what she does, but everyone thinks she's kind of a special lady. So right. his Queen wasn't. He wasn't making fun of uh, Queen Elizabeth like uh, as a grotesque, you know, boobs character. He was just like, I want to do the character of the queen and make her, like, give her a nastiness that she didn't have, which I thought was kind of fun. But anyway, mm-hmm. so, well, so, yeah. Yeah, so they were doing that. And they, so yeah, that, that was, and also having an openly gay member of the troupe and having gay characters that weren't necessarily fruity or like, uh, like Jeff Jack from, uh, you know, from Will and Grace. They weren't the, the uh, over the top gay character, like, you know, hello. Like, it was like, right. Like, kind of what gay, there were scenes about gay cruising. There was things like, and you know, of course, they at one point everyone thought that all the kids were gay because they were just so cool with it at a time when not many people were cool with it. And right. they, there's a there's a lot to be said for them being innovators just on that front, you know. Anyway, absolutely. And then even even with Scott's Buddy Cole character, which I would say was is the most flamboyant of the gay characters that they would portray, yeah. he was essentially like a rock star for a lot of the kids in the hall fans. Uh, it's such a fun character and that bitchiness and the, the, the sort of ennui, that weariness that he has for the world and yeah. the way that they would present Buddy Cole when, he would, when, when they would tour and they would set up the stool and the blue light and the microphone and then he would just kind of glide yeah. out. And by the time he was out, people were just, you know, rabidly cheering for him because it was such a fun character sure. to watch. Today, I think it's still, you still could do a Buddy Cole character and he would have, and I mean, he would just have evolved. And I would love to, you know, that commentary in 2018 is, I think, invaluable. Again, it's the outsider, but the insider. Look, that well, I think that's what's the best you, of comedy. You follow, that's a really good point. You follow a character, a, a, an account uh, on Twitter, Louis Vertel. Louis Vertel is hilariously funny and has a little bit yes. of that. Uh, I'm assuming he's a gay man. I just, just from the way Very he talks about so. <laughs> and, and And my point is, though, that he has that kind of cutting uh, you know, uh, the gay men are usually, uh, maybe it's a stereotype, but there's a certain kind of gay man who's very up on pop culture and knows exactly how to make, you know, Guy Brant, Br- Branham, is that how you pronounce it? I never actually had to say his name mm-hmm. out loud, Guy Branham. But God, these guys have an insight and a cuttingness and can just diffuse 
and deflate the pompousness of any sort of showbiz story. And that's what Buddy Cole does. And Buddy Cole yes. does it, and you, you welcome it because it's a little like Mark Twain. It's the gay Mark Twain. He comes out, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, uh, or uh, no, Mark Twain and uh, uh, Will Rogers, apparently. I, I Believe me, these are before my time, but Will Rogers used to come out and talk in the town hall with the newspaper, and he'd read the newspaper, and he'd make a commentary. Mort Saul used to do this, the comedian Mort yep. Saul. They come out and they read the newspaper and then they read the headline and then they sort of start talking to the audience about it. And that's what Buddy Cole did, but it was a gay raconteur in a dinner jacket with a martini glass. I mean, this, right. and it's, taste, it's just tasty. It's a tasty area for comedy. And, and, and Scott just did it the other day. Like I was, we did an event back in Toronto. It was a, a, thankfully another sold out event. And at the last minute, I heard that Scott was going to do Buddy Cole as the intro. He came out as Buddy Cole and did a like a five minute chunk of brand new material talking about. Uh, and this is I was scared shitless when he said this, but he said I'm going to do a little thing about the Me Too movement because I was afraid he was going to like, I was afraid he was going to like Buddy was going to be contrary about a bunch of things, and he perfectly he got us all home. It was so beautiful, and he did it. And then eventually Paul Bellini comes out, who's a character from the show, a writer mm-hmm. actually. He comes out wearing a towel. I mean, that was what we did on the show. Paul Bellini. Right, he's the man in the show. We had Buddy Cole, we had Paul Bellini, and this audience of, you know, packed house just went nuts for Buddy Uh, Cole. And it was like, it was amazing. And I, I, and he still tours. Like, uh, Scott is in LA right now doing Buddy Cole in places. Like, he does the cabaret. It's like, and he's probably got other things up his sleeve for Buddy. You know, like, Buddy's a a lifer character. Like, he'll do that forever. Buddy needs his own Twitter. Tell Scott. Well, Scott the, there should be a, oh, buddy, a dedicated Buddy, buddy Cole yeah. Twitter. You're, that's a good point. I think you're right. Uh, Scott definitely is on Twitter, but the Buddy should be. Uh, and and if, oh, yeah. if there is a Buddy, and if there's a Buddy there that isn't official, they, they should get rid of that one. I don't even know if there is, but uh, I haven't looked. Uh, that's a very that, good point. I think uh, that Scott, that's a voice that yeah. we need for sure. I I think if more people were able to listen to a Buddy Cole, it would be easier to navigate the times that we're in. And it, again, it points to the outsider slash insider thing. Like he's, he's in the industry, but as a a gay man and as a Canadian, he has a little bit of leeway and he can make these observations safely. And in a way that we can hear it as Americans, it's so much easier to hear what's wrong from an outsider with their observation, Mm -hmm. because they, they have some sort of an emotional distance, even if they are living in the country, they still, you know, like a Trevor Noah, uh, someone like yeah. that can take that step John, back and look John at us. Oliver too. Yeah. Or you, yeah. you know, yourself, you know, you, you live here, you are Canadian. Yeah. That, that is your, your experience. Um, and I think that Canada does so many different things better th- than we do. I don't think you can argue that. Um, it's, it's interesting how some of their projects stay in Canada and don't seem to cross the border. You write about a couple of uh, projects like Dave Foley's, movie the wrong guy i want to see that movie how do i see it as an american because it sounds awesome how do i get I think to see that i think it's i i, I think it's streamed somewhere i i haven't looked lately in america uh i was just maybe with, dave uh, foley actually, can help us out with that he follows us I was just, so hey well, dave, dave if you're listening dave, i want to see your movie dave yeah dave 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 well i'll talk to him and jay, <laughs> okay. jay Hogan, who uh jay Hogan, who wrote that is uh, with dave and uh and David Higgins, one of the Higgins boys, and uh, they uh, like so Dave would have been there on Monday. Dave Higgins would have been there on Monday night, but he was out of town. But uh, Jay Cogan came out, and we talked a little bit about the wrong guy just privately, and 
I forgot uh-huh. to ask him, is it still available anywhere? Because it was, it was hard to find anywhere. That was the movie that Dave wrote. And David Steinberg, another great Canadian, directed it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, like, and, and, then, and David Steinberg's also the guy in the 60s who had that experience of being a Canadian working in Hollywood, making fun of Americans' views of, like, uh, right-wing religion, you know. And, uh, and that's something – I think you're right, though. That's something we can do. And, you know, certainly Saturday Night Live originally had a lot of Canadians on the cast, including Lauren, who was producing it. And there's definitely a role that we have is where you're I – mean, we call it America's hat, but we're also America's kid brother. And I think sometimes right. the kid brother looks up and sees, sees like, you know – like, you know, when did you start smoking? You know, uh, you know, like, like, <laughs> like, like we're kind of like, like, like we're sort of like watching your mom's going to be mad at you. Like, you're like, that's sort of like, that's kind of how we are. We're, we're just like you. As John Stewart used to say, they walk amongst us. They look just like us, you know? And, um, and th- th- I think, you know, we can be very smug. I think you said we do a lot of things better. Well, I think we did healthcare better. I mean, I, I can oh, honestly yeah. tell you, I, I live, I live in California and I'm actually a dual citizen now because I like, I liked my home and I wanted to, I wanted to sort of vote here and everything. So I haven't relinquished my Canadian citizenship. I still have a Canadian passport, but I walk between both cultures. I can tell you what we do better in Canada. I can also tell you what we don't do better in Canada. Uh, okay. What no don't you do better? <laughs> there's no sh- show business. Sorry to say to my friends who work in show business in Canada, but the system, maybe it's just the money's not there. I can tell you, I know six different people, including my own brother, who've been offered projects in Canada where they couldn't do it because to do it right, they'd need a lot more money for the crew and a lot more money for the, you know, people with, you know, like just the offers that were made to various people, uh, Martin Short, uh, that to do series in Canada where they're not going to be given the real budget that they could do here in the States. So that's something that Canada doesn't do well. We don't have a we have some star system, and certainly the, the Baroness von Sketch show in Canada is a great example of, like, despite the odds, they've made this great comedy series that's on in Canada. It's an all-female version of the Kids in the Hall, basically. But they're not the Kids in the mm-hmm. Hall. They're not like the Kids in the Hall. They're, they're doing women comedy that is universal. It's not just for women. And they're great. Mm-hmm. And look at, like, Samantha B had to go to the States to, to get her thing happening. She's from Toronto. Yeah. Uh, you know, and um, it's so... Uh, by the way, I think Baroness will sketch her on IFC now. They're coming to IFC. Yes, but, uh, they are. I so you'll be, so. Able to, you'll be able to see them. They're very, very funny, and uh, uh, I look forward to seeing them more often in the States because they're really funny. But, uh, but it's really hard to get something mobile. Like there's a show in Canada called Corner Gas that was a huge sitcom about a small Saskatchewan town and the little corner gas station, and it's by this comedian named Brent Butt. That's his real name. He's a real great guy. He's great on Twitter. Brent Butt created this show, and it's huge. And, of course, I don't – I mean, it might be on some markets in America, but, you know, I wish that was translated down here. But I got, I got to hand it to him for making a show that was just for Canada that is about Canadian things because that's the other thing we don't do well in Canada. And historically, we would make shows that tried to be American, and that would be a drag because you come down here – and you think there's a million people making American shows. Why would Canada want to make a show that looks American? <laughs> I, think, I think what we should do is we should be like Australia or England, make shows that look like where we're from so that Americans can go, oh, that's the show that's different than what we do. You know? Right. And, yeah. and, and I think so we, yeah. Yeah. Americans have a Jones for the foreign. 
You know, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but things are pretty shitty here right now. So I'm happy <laughs> to escape to another country's culture. Pretty pleased with sugar on top. Um, I would love, and, and then the interesting thing, when you talk about corner gas, and you mention it a lot in the book, Norm Hitchcock, who writes on that, also wrote for Parks and Rec. So, oh, yeah, I and mean, King of the Hill. And, yeah, like, and King yeah. of the Hill. And so, obviously, the humor, with a U, translates, um, <laughs> and it should it should be available to Americans. We need that. We need to, you know, I don't, yeah. our, our sitcoms are really, they're, they're getting pretty bad. I mean, if Tim Allen still has a sitcom, I'm not going to, let's not go down that road, but I would love to be able to watch corner gas and I would love to be able to watch slings and arrows and all of these cool Canadian shows that the kids in the hall have participated in that don't cross the Southern border. And I don't, I don't know yeah. why, but yeah. um, maybe the book and maybe, uh, you know, now that there's, you know, some buzz now that the 30th anniversary of the troop is coming up, maybe all yeah. of it will just be released in a kids in the hall onslaught of awesome. Is that a potential well, thing? The two, well, you know, I want to say that that's kind of one of the reasons I wrote the book because I want, I I've known them so long. I was on the set of brain candy. I was, I've been at the reunion tours. I've been at the TV tapings and I've been at the club. I was there for pretty much, I was, t- I was checking in, let's just say I wasn't there every day for all of that, but I was always checking in with them, and I know the guy who did the music, Craig Northey, who did some of the music. I know the shadowy men from the Shadowy Planet did the music for the TV show. And mm-hmm. uh, great music. I've known, all oh, oh, great. Like, they really define comedy as having this guitar sound. But my point is, I've known these guys for so long, and I just felt like somebody who knows them and, frankly, who loves them should find a way to tell their inside story and really just sort of celebrate this stuff while they're still here, you know, like, and also because, you know, generations will change, and I wanted there to be a document. I wanted, and, and here's the funny thing, though. I just want to say I'm making a long-winded point, as I often do. Uh, <laughs> Todd Rundgren, I did a book about Todd Rundgren, the producer, and I, I was sick of going to parties and telling people, you know the guy who did Hello, It's Me also produced the New York Dolls and also produced Meatloaf and also produced XTC Skylarking but also produced Patti Smith. They're like, what? The same guy? <laughs> and so, so I, I thought, I'm going to write a book. I said this to my wife, Lisa. I said, I'm going to write a book that, is, that ties it all together so that people, including Todd Runger himself, will see just how much great work he's done and just see how he should be more celebrated. And I will say that before this book, I remember Todd, I remember Todd sort of like seeming like he didn't really want to talk about his past. Like, I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. That's my assumption. I've seen him now go out and be really – like walk tall. Like I've seen it lately. He's been really on fire. And I feel mm-hmm. like I helped a little bit. I don't want to take credit for him because he's working hard. He's doing his thing. This is in no way me taking credit for that. But I think what happens is people start to read about him and they tell him back. They tell him, oh, you did this thing. That was great. I didn't realize you did this thing. And so mm-hmm. it's, got a, it's got a way on somebody. So what I want is the kids in the hall to keep getting like everyone keep going, oh, my God, Kids in the Hall, Kids in the Hall, and maybe producers, maybe Netflix, maybe people like that will say, oh, my God, why don't we have a Kids in the Hall thing? You know, and Bob Odenkirk Yeah, why don't they? Me, Bob Odenkirk says to me in the book, like Bob Odenkirk, who had Mr. Show, which came on HBO right, right after the Kids in the Hall went off HBO, but now he's Better Call Saul, and he's, he's the famous Bob Odenkirk. He says right. they, should just do, they should just be doing like a six-episode Netflix series every two years. Like they should just do Absolutely. that. They should just do it. Like, he's a fan, you know? Like, like, I love that Bob Odenkirk's a fan of the Kids of the Hall. Like, that just blows my mind. And Seth well, all Myers, the best people are. Yeah, Seth Meyers, like, that's the point. I, 
I asked him, I asked him through his people, you know, can consider doing this. He emailed me back and said, what do you need? Like, he was like, like, I think it was like two or three days later, too. Like, these things don't usually happen in two or three days. So, so clearly the love is there. Um, people are, you know, people are like, this book is actually connecting with a lot of people. Like, I'm amazed at how well this is doing. Like, it's, I don't know if we're ever going to have a bestseller because I just think it's a small publishing company. Uh, I, certainly within the comedy world, there are people talking about this book, and I'm so happy with that. Well, and you should That's be all. because, uh, you know, the fact that you, you did this all from interviews, you know, you sat down and you talked with not just the kids, but the people, you know, whether you did it via email or in person, you got direct quotes from people who truly knew them, who truly loved them. Um, there's that bittersweet moment, all the, you know, not that far from the end of the book where you got an email from, you emailed with Gary Shanling, very close to his unfortunate, untimely death yeah. about oh, the kids yeah. in the hall, right. because obviously Scott Thompson was a, a big part of the Gary, uh, the Larry Sanders show. Um, the fact that you are, not just, you know, you're friends with them and your friends and a fan. And I think that is true of everybody that you interviewed for the book. Everybody was a friend, but also a fan. Maybe they started as fans, but they became friends or they started as a, as a friend like you and just grew into this giant fan of the group and have always been supportive and always, you know, like Bob Odenkirk saying, why don't they have a show on Netflix every year? Like all of these people want yeah, them yeah. to succeed. Your Paul Feig yeah. want them to succeed. Um, you know, and I'm Facebook friends with so many of the people that you've mentioned, all of these comedians with Jake Hogan and David Higgins and you and it's, you know, yeah. enough, enough of us getting together and putting that into the universe, hopefully, will uh, mm-hmm. see it come to fruition, especially for the 30th anniversary. I mean, they, if mm-hmm. you're an untapped gold mine, someone will eventually tap you is usually how it goes. <laughs> and I would well, say also, yeah. you're not untapped, but there's so much more that they could that that Americans could enjoy. If they would just release perseverance. it. Perseverance uh, is a huge thing. Uh, and, you know, I mean, to bring it back to the usual theme of your show, persistence and resistance. And, uh, you know, nevertheless, she persisted. You know, it's like, right. it's absolutely, I mean, obviously we're talking about two different kinds of things. One's a comedy career and one's a righteousness career. But uh, I would say that, you know, the lesson, there's a lot of lessons in, in their comedy too, which is it's not, it's 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 about the quality of standing up to bullshit and and i think that you know right now it's a great time to it's a great time for people to mobilize because we now know that that all our freedoms can be taken away pretty easily by the right strong man who is connected with fascists right so right. i think you know who i'm talking about anyway and, huh. and i mean I mean, can I just say, I, 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 there's a million reasons to be insulted by Donald Trump, but, like, he comes up to Paradise, California on the weekend and doesn't even get the town right. Like, he calls it pleasure, right. which is, that's just his warped, his warped idea of what Paradise is, by the way. is like, Paradise is what, are you going to get pleasured in Paradise? Like, Ugh. I'm sorry, dude. Well, he doesn't get any anyway. love from Mia Love, so, you know, he doesn't he, know how to talk uh, yeah, appropriately. Exactly. He talks like a mob boss. He talks like, it's like every scene with him is like the Untouchables with Robert De Niro walking around with a baseball bat uh, in the Untouchables. Like, you know, he's yes. just like loyalty. We're talking about loyalty. You know, and like yes. he's just, uh, he, but, but what I, I think why we're all so frustrated is like, how come so many people, like almost half or just under half Americans, like, like, they they think that that's a good president. Like someone like oh, well, he says what he believes. Like shut up. What do you believe? Oh, like, they're, they're, they're still they're saying that this deep in right. It's, it's ridiculous. 
Like he's like, oh. Like, he's and, the, and he's just, the one dumb guy. He he's the oh, dumb he's guy. The dumbest not, guy. He's the dumbest guy. guy. Yeah. A global embarrassment, and uh, you know, just you know, he it it, it I I want. There's so much more that we could talk about when it comes to Donald Trump, but I feel like we we've been in a really good happy place talking about the kids in the hall, and okay, I want to end okay, our yeah, time sorry. together. I'm sorry, I on a high note. No, 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 no. See, and you were worried. You were worried that we weren't going to be able to talk about politics, and that would be a thing. It's not a thing. This is the point. Um, and I said this before you joined us. What Jason and I want to do going into the end of this year is try to inflict joy wherever we can because there's so little of it in the world. Um, and I want to be able to enjoy feeling good. Because that's another thing that is lacking, I think, in our world right now, Paul. Like, we feel guilty because yeah. everything sucks so much. So reading a book about the kids and all, this is unbridled joy. You know, watching a comedy it's troupe and, it, and, and, and laughing and connecting. And the fact, uh, maintaining friendships for 30 years, that is something to exalt to the heavens and something to well, acknowledge yeah. because that's something that we don't hear about a lot. And so... I'm going to let us go out on a high note, Paul. I value Absolutely. your friendship and always have. Um, oh, and same here. And, uh, you know, these, there are good people on our planet still, in our world, in our environment, on our social medias. And there are people who want to continue to put good out into the world. You are one of them. The Kids in the Hall is, is pure joy. You know, it's, it's you. the love that they have for each other, even when, because that's what a family is, right? may not right. talk to some members of your family for a little while. There's that love there always that connects these five men and connects you to them and all of the people who love them. It's, it's, it is, uh, you know, like uh, people who enjoy a band. You could, they constantly were comparing themselves to a rock band, the replacements, or, you know, someone who just kind of flew under the radar but has a huge and devoted fan base. Um, yeah. I like that, yeah. you know, uh, uh, a not very well-kept secret. So, Going into the next year, as they hit their 30th anniversary, I hope that this book that you've written, first of all, I want everybody to read it and get it, Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy by Paul Myers. Um, but I want this to be a launching pad for them so that next year is the year of the Kids in the Hall. This is something, oh, and you should honor it and celebrate it. Um, as I honor you and celebrate you, my friend, everybody should follow Paul Myers on the Twitters at Pull My Ears. And I thank Good you for giving, you some, give us, giving us so much of our time your time today. Thank oh, you yeah. so much. No it's problem a nice, at all. It's yeah, a nice break to not talk guys. about politics for 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah sorry about right? that. I, uh, but, but, uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. That's so why I wanted you. Thank you for having me on. I and, wanted yeah, you to you guys join are doing us. A great job. It's so great to hear thank you uh, using, using your radio gifts. I appreciate thank that. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Love. Thank you. Everybody, please purchase the kids in the hall. One dumb guy. Follow Paul on Twitter. And, you know, when the after the new year and the kids in the hall are going out on the road, let's uh, let's try to get them to Portland. You come with them, we'll all hang out together. I would love that. Okay, see you. Let's make it happen. All right, yeah. have a great day. Thank, you, thank you so much. Thank and thank and thank you too. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It's awesome. Okay, bye. Bye, Paul. I love Paul Myers so much, and it's oh, that was totally one hundred percent true. It's a hundred percent true that I did not I know he was Mike Myers' brother. I want to give everybody real quick, all future podcasters and podcasters out there that are doing, um, I'm going to give you a quick, I'm going to give you a quick lesson. 
really quickly, listen, if you're doing a podcast or you're doing a radio show or you're doing terrestrial and you're working with a co-host, it's two people together, and one excels in an area where you don't, you let that person go. Tara is an incredible <laughs> interviewer. Tara is an incredible interviewer, um, especially when it comes to a lot of the entertainment personalities um, that we have. She knows them backwards and forwards. She knows Paul for a long time. I mean, that was great. I enjoyed, as a co-host, I enjoyed just sitting back and producing that and listening to were that. Were people it was saying wonderful. that you weren't talking enough in the chat room? Were people like, oh, no, 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 that, no, that was, I really enjoyed listening to that. I was like a big fan. Good. I've been a big fan of Canadian comedy. I mean, back to, you know, Bob and Doug McKenzie. I mean, yeah, you know, we didn't even touch you on know, that. so. Yeah, and always a huge, huge SNL fan. So, um, well, and that is a good transition because you have an SNL clip queued for a very special reason, ladies yes. and gentlemen. Today marks the fiftieth five zero fifty fiftieth show for Taylor and Tower Radio. We're fifty right now, so yes. you have something. <laughs> Just yeah. I do. As soon as I someone have, says fifty. I don't think 50 Cent. I think Sally O'Malley. I'm 50. Molly Shannon doing Sally O'Malley on Saturday Night Live. Sally O'Malley. I'm proud yep. to say that I'm 50 years old. I'm not one of those gals who's afraid to tell a real age. And I like to kick, stretch, <laughs> and kick. I'm 50. There it is. That's the whole thing. That's it. Tell a real age, and I like to kick. Say that I'm 50 years old. I'm not one of those gals who's afraid. Why is it repeating? I have no idea. (laughs) Listen, I went to grab the clip, and there was two two offers. One, I just wanted to hear it. Yeah, well, one was 40 seconds long, and the other offering was six minutes, and I couldn't, there was no way I had enough time to grab it, cut it, and all that. So I just grabbed 40 seconds. That's the whole point. When I have my 50th birthday, maybe we'll play the lo- the whole thing, and that's coming up in a few months. That it just when yeah. you said that we were about to do our 50th show, that's what I'm 50. That's all I can think. Yeah. And since we're Today doing a comedic based uh, show, our our 50th episode. Wow, we've done 50 shows. That is amazing. And while you were um, to transition over to um, some politics, while you and Paul were uh, having your interview there, your talk, which was incredible. I enjoyed it very much. I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that. That was just really, um, that was real interesting, a lot of fun. Um, uh, some breaking news, uh, not so much breaking, but um, they, they, I guess they made it official. Um, uh, 16 House Democrats have vowed to oppose Pelosi as next speaker. Uh, that also includes well that hold on that also includes on top of the 16 you have another 5 so you have a total of 21 you have Connor Lamb, Jason Crow, Jared Golden, Abigail uh Spartanburger and um let me see here um yeah so a total of 21 
Well, uh, Nancy Pelosi would say she doesn't care. She doesn't care. Well, her, her skin she should is thick. care. I know. She, I, I'm telling you what she would say and what she says I to know. anybody who is vocally, aggressively opposing her reinstatement as Speaker of the House. She the will say, only thing I want to add, the, I, look, we had, mm-hmm. we had a great uplifting show. The only thing that I would like, and, and I was going to get this in there in the beginning of the show today, and and this just goes out to to you know social media folks, and just if you're having a conversation with somebody about this, listen, this is uh, everybody. You need this is basic civics here, okay? Listen, you can't not. When you say we the people voted and we want Nancy, and we want Nancy as speaker, okay. If you voted in your district for your congressional representative for the House, then yes. But somebody that ran, let's take uh, Abigail Spanberger, who ran on saying, "Look, she would not vote for Nancy Pelosi." Period. End of story. That's what she ran on. Her constituents voted her in on that. You can't you, – you, that's like going to Joe Manchin and, and when he voted for uh, Kavanaugh. You know, it, it, you can't go and tell Abigail Spanberger in her own district. You're not – and people that – and look, and, uh, uh, I'm not going to name names, but people out there threatening to primary these people – you're not, what are you, you're not going to primary somebody in a district that voted them to the House on the basis that they would vote against Pelosi? Stop being silly, you people. But, but I mean, I'm not slamming anybody here or there, Tara. I just want people to understand basic civics. These people ran to their districts. They ran on saying, listen, I'm not voting for Pelosi. They got voted in. So don't – you know, listen, it's not about me, the people voted for all of y'all in. No, you voted for your congressman, I voted for mine, so on right. and so forth. Uh, you know what? Um, we're, I, I, I honestly don't understand this infighting. It, makes, it frustrates me greatly when people are digging in rather than being able to look at the bigger picture. Um, just did a quick, I opened Facebook and one of the first things I saw, Nancy Pelosi raised $135.6 million in this election cycle alone, $129 million of which went to the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee to support the ever-expanding win for House Democratic candidate Seth Moulton, who is leading the effort to oust her, raised a paltry $2 million this year and $170,000 in contributions. So if you want to talk about effective leadership and someone well, who is okay. able to... Yeah, but then you also tweeted that who her biggest contribute contributors were. So, yeah. um, well, I mean, listen, you know what my sides, position is two, on this. Yeah, there's two sides to that argument. Is she a, has she always possessed the ability to raise a ton of money? Yeah, Marcia Fudge said absolutely she yes. has. Um, yes, she does possess it. Has she taken a lot of corporate money? Hell, yes. Over the years, go to OpenSecrets.org, and you can see how much corporate PAC money her and Schumer look. Because Tara knows I have been from the get-go. I know people out there on Twitter and social media in general say, "Oh, well, you pile it on. You're not seeing it." No, I I have said from the beginning I have been opposed to Schumer and Pelosi continuing as leaders. 
Uh, am I going to stop, like I said in the last show, am I going to stop my feet and yell and scream if she remains leader? No. I'm going to do what's best for the party. Um, That's the point. Which, and oh, I'll pause. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's my, here's my only point. Here's my only point, and this is what I would say to the naysayers who are all excited. I'm excited about the new blood, too. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm excited about the women of color who are coming in, LGBTQ, all of the new all of the new blood is going to be good for the party and the house. However, again, I will point out to the naysayers, consider this a transitional period. Okay. Consider 2020, uh, consider 2019 to 2021, a transitional period until we take back full power in both the house and the Senate and hopefully the white house. Yeah. Who knows? No one has a crystal ball. Again, I say to you, in this weird, awful, crazy, scary, horrific, unprecedented time that we are living in where there is no, we have nothing to base this on in history at all. To me, right now, for the transition, I want someone who knows what she's doing, who's been there, who's got a thick skin, who's not uh, learned a curve, okay? But, I don't need Karen, someone to hit this. You. I don't need someone who's not experienced is in that transition role. Do I want a new minority leader? Yes, I do. I want a new minority leader. I don't think Chuck Schumer is effective. Marcia Fudge, great. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, uh, Elijah Cummings. Yes, 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 yes. But in the role Carol, of let me speaker ask you a again. Let, let, yeah. let me ask you a question. This is something that's been proposed. And it's, look, I think a lot of people's fear, a lot of fear is, is that 2020, um, we don't want, um, because you had a lot of candidates everywhere. Here in Texas, some, only one in particular had Pelosi um, um, down here, but, um, you know, that didn't want Pelosi around. And, um, you know, and because she's just not good for that, you know, their district, you know, they weren't real supportive of Pelosi. Here's the thing. I think here's a lot of people's fear is that 2020, you're going to have um, the, the Hillary's going to run. So you're going to have Pelosi, and I've seen, the, I've seen that meme that you had up, and, and it was funny, and oh, then it's kind of not funny. It's not going to happen. It, but, but, you know, it's – no, no. But, but, but irregardless, you could still literally have those two – you could have, you know, the right having those two uh, incredible women, you know, and God damn it, I'm so pleased. I am not tr- – can we just talk about the best person for the job? I mean, yes. it, I, I we tried that in 2016 and no one was having it, right? You know, so, so, I mean, this is what I propose. I would propose that Nancy Pelosi take the next year, if she is indeed um, um, voted in as speaker, which I suspect she will be, and um, take the next year – you know, train and look. This goes back on the Democrats in the in the Senate and in the House for not training, spending the last four or six years, you know, bringing somebody up through the ranks, um, and you know, getting them ready to assume that you know to 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 assume the role as Speaker and and or um, majority leader in the Senate or minority leader in the Senate now. But um, you know. Hold that tenure for the next year while you're training somebody and then kind of gradually step away and let 
somebody else be the face there for 2020. That that's my proposal. I don't have a problem with that. I that's why I'm saying look at her as a transitional speaker of the house to get us through over this next hump of a year, whatever it may bring. And that's why I am saying we have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, third in line to the presidency. I need somebody in that position who's not learning on a curve, at least right. for this next year, at least. And then if we get things right and things settle down where we're all feeling a little bit more confident, a little bit more comfortable, she has no problem stepping aside after that. She just wants to make sure that there is a smooth transition and that in case something happens, third in line to the presidency is not something to mess with right now. If we were in a normal time, again, if this was still Obama's presidency, even George W. Bush's presidency, this is not a discussion we would have to have. This is not a normal situation we're living in. I need somebody who knows what she's doing. So, again, a strong woman is always going to freak out a weak man. And that's the narrative. And I well, understand that there are... Well, hold on a second. I'm There are women no. opposing... That's- you know what? I got. Look, I lost when I seen when 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 I seen. Uh, um, um, oh Jesus! Um, um, Kathy Griffin doing that, taking out the five white men and hammering them, hammering them. I retweeted her with comment, and that is so. Listen. That you know, I mean, come on. So you don't, you're not, you're not going to mention the five, six, seven other women, the the women. And, and Kathleen Rice, representative from New York, she tweeted. She's got it pinned at the top of her page. She said, "We're the ones leading the charge. We're the, you know, we're the ones wanting to take the role. And you're, are you not acknowledging us?" And well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's better clickbait it's, if you just say men. Uh, yes, there are women opposing it as well. I don't understand why. It could be we want the new blood in there. If that's the narrative for the new blood, just put a pin in it. You'll get well, your we, new we blood in it. We, we, we can get to a point where, where we can get to a point, and here's my point. You know, we already are actually, we can get to a point where, um, we can't or we're not allowed to oppose our leaders based on gender or race or uh, sexual or whatever. I mean, we can't get to that point to where, oh, man, I don't want to – because there are a lot of people that – look, there's a lot of people – there are a lot of people out there that would like to say, look, I would like to see a new speaker, but I am not sharing a damn thing on social media because I'm going to get hammered for it because I'm a man. And, well, what? I, yeah, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. Everyone's afraid to talk now. But again, it, yeah, this no, no, here. they are. They're what scared it, to death. I know. If, if you, if this is unpalatable, is that, is that right, for you Sarah? In some I mean, way, is that a, is that a good, is that a good way, is that a good place for this, for us to be going to where you've gotten to the point to where you're scared? People, I mean, really, literally, I've chatted it's with, I don't know, probably. You know that we're past that point where people are afraid to say things on social media because they're going to get their asses handed to them. You know that as well as I. Jen Kirkman today. But even, pub, but even, but even in public. So, 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 so these five, these five, the five white guys, um, you know, they, that's you know. That's part of it. That's a part. And you, if you want to make another hashtag, 
You can how many how many women is it? Well, that's an that's an effective it's narrative. Women of color. I get Go it. I get it, but it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not that's not fair. That's not being honest. That that's bullshit. That's 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 what you know. How dare you? Listen, that's what the right does. You know, by doing that, you're putting out that's fake. That's not true. It's not just five white guys. We're talking about what did I say? Twenty-one people, and out of that twenty-one well, people, about seven. Saying it's twenty-one people. Make a new hashtag. Counter the narrative. I don't want to make a new hashtag. I can't stand. And don't you know that there's <laughs> only so much you can do then? When well, a listen, cool little narrative hits, when a hashtag that's easy to hate on hits. What are you going to do about it? Ignore it. Just don't participate in it. You have the choice. Uh, right. Make the choice. Anyways, let's end the show with a good note today. This is our 50th show. That was a great interview Tara had with Paul Myers. If you missed and any more, of we're it. We're going to do more like that. We're going to be inviting more artists, more comedians, more writers, um, because we need to maintain a balance. And I think uh, it's helpful for us in the position that we are in, yeah, we can talk politics and we can rip it all apart and uh, all of that. And I think that's a very, it's an, obviously the reason we created this podcast, but you and I both are connected to people who do things other than politics and they can be helpful voices at this time. And that's where we're, and that's what we're doing. And that's what I really wanted Paul to join us today just to remind us that it's okay to laugh and it is okay to enjoy life. And it is okay to push yourself away from your screen and sit around a table with other human beings and uh, create with them. You know, um, in times like this, some, you know, in oppressive times, art can thrive. And we need it to maintain some sort of balance and some sort of semblance of normalcy in our lives. And that's something that has been, in, it's been missing in my life. And I know this for a fact, which is why. I'm making concerned efforts to push back away from the social media and enjoy other things. And I'll continue to encourage people to do that as we continue to navigate the garbage fire, because there must be a balance somewhere or we're all going to lose our shit. So, and, um, so go go do something that makes you laugh today. Watch. Yeah. And coming up, look, we have a great guest coming up next week. Um, Adrian Lawrence, um, She's incredible. She's an attorney. Um, she was uh, Progressive Woman Voices of the Year uh, 2018. She's a, a speaker. Um, if you don't follow her, follow her on Twitter. It's Adrian Law. Um, she uh, she was the host of the Madden competition, um, where you know people um, you know got together and played like Madden football and stuff. And she's an incredible attorney. She's um, just an incredible person, and she's going to join us next week. So, and that's the kind of stuff that you can expect from us going to the end of this calendar year. We still will highlight political voices when we can, but we're going to bring in other voices too, because yeah. that balance matters and being able to get different perspectives. If you're able to shift. You know, you're you're a little paradigm shift once a day so that you remember who you are as a human being. All of that is really vitally important. So getting different perspectives matter. And I think uh, uh, that's one of the good things that we're able to do. One of the many good things that we're able to do here. Um, Once again, super grateful to my friend Paul Myers for joining us today. 
Um, I want to get each of the kids of the hall, kids in the hall as guests eventually, because when you have intelligent, funny people around you, you just, it just makes you feel better about the world because they see it in a different way. That outsider's perspective helps to kind of help you refocus a little bit. And that's what, that's the best of what comedy and the best of what art does. So yep. uh, that's where I make right. a, a fun one, a good one. Uh, it's giving week. Okay. So just do good things. Try to do good things as we continue to resist the garbage fire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. We'll see everybody on Wednesday. If you missed any of the show today, you can catch it right here in about 15 minutes on TaylorTerrorRadio.com or any of your favorite podcasts in podcasts listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Google Play Music, or go to Google and simply search Taylor Terra Radio, and you will find um, many, um, many areas to listen to the show and or download it for your pleasure. Um, that's going to do it for us today. Um, we will see everybody on Wednesday, and then we're off Friday um, as Tara said, everyone have a great Thanksgiving week. Be safe. And, you know, enjoy the time. Be happy if you can be. Find the joy. Find it and hold on to it. Absolutely. All right. We'll see everybody Wednesday. Have a great, great day. Let me know.